Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right. Hey, good morning. It's so good to have you with us today. Whether you're joining online or you're listening to the podcast, it is an honor to have you. And I'm going to just speak on behalf of everybody in the, in the room. We welcome you here today to the 9 o'clock, the 11 o'clock, or if you're watching on demand. So good to be with you. Uh, I'm going to get into the word in just a moment, but before we do that, I want to take a moment and encourage us around our giving as we do so often around here. Uh, as you heard David mention last week during our service, within the next couple of weeks, we're going to be sending out a copy of our 2020 financial report, and I'm incredibly excited to share all of this information with the church. Uh, particularly, I'm excited about sharing with you the amount of money that we gave away last year. Yeah, it's exciting to see what's come in and the faithfulness of God's people, but I'm excited to share with you how your generosity made a way for so many many people in our community to not just, you know, make it, but sometimes just eat and survive and pay rent and all the rest of that stuff during 2020. You guys have been incredibly generous. And as a result of that, many in our community have been blessed. I, I really believe that it is the mandate of the church of Jesus Christ to take care of those in our community that are in need that cannot take care of themselves. As you read through the book of Acts and the New Testament church, you'll see that. You'll see that the church took responsibility when the government didn't take responsibility. And when family members couldn't take responsibility, the church stepped up and said, hey, we're going to take care of those who know Jesus. We're going to take care of the needy in our community. And I, I, that's a mandate we take very seriously around here. We allocate a large percentage of the budget that we give away every single month to go to local benevolence, people in our community that desperately need uh, food and resources and, and help with rent and all of that stuff. And as you know, businesses are still shut down. EDD is running out. People don't have a lot. And we will continue to be that church at the beginning of this year. We will continue to live extravagantly generous with our resources. And as we start off this year, while the economic climate is still, you know, much the same as it was last year, I want to encourage a group of people that might be watching today. Maybe you're in the room, maybe you're listening. Uh, but specifically, I want to speak to those who maybe have not yet been uh, financially affected by the pandemic. Maybe you still got your job and everything's fine. I know some people are doing better now than they were before. Uh, I want to appeal to you for just a moment. I want to ask you to follow us as a church as we are following Jesus. I wanna to appeal to you to be a blessing to some people that desperately need it in this season. Uh, I, I, there's not a week that goes by where we're not giving money away from our benevolence account and helping out people in our community. And we wanna to continue to be able to say yes when people need help. Uh, the Apostle Paul says it like this in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13. He said, of course, I don't mean that your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and you can help those who are in need. Later, they may have plenty and they'll be able to share with you when you need it. We wanna be a church that is taking care of those in our community that have needs, and I know that there's some folks that have surplus, and so I, I'm not trying to twist anybody's arm, but I am saying there's a lot of people in our community that have need, so let's be the church of Jesus Christ and live generously in this season and give like never before so that nobody has a need in our community, amen? Uh, if you'd like to give today, a couple of ways you can do that. You can do it on the app, you can do it on the, on the website, click the giving button. But again, thank you guys for being such an incredibly generous church. I'm excited to see what God's gonna do through our giving this year. It's gonna be a good one. All right, let's get into the word. Last week, uh, we started out the year by stating a mantra, a, a theme, a, a modus operandi, if you will, that we're gonna operate by this year. And that is, as the Father's house, we're gonna be people who dare to hope. We're gonna look at situations that might look hopeless and we're not gonna be swayed by 
the narrative of the media or whatever else we see around us. We're gonna look at hopeless situations and we're gonna declare our God is still greater. I got breath in my lungs, I got mercy on my side and I'm gonna be the kind of person that dares to hope in the midst of all that we're facing right now. Uh, if you did not catch that message, I wanna encourage you to go back, watch it on the YouTube, listen on the podcast. We will probably reference that a lot this year because I truly believe that is our theme. That's gonna be the heartbeat of the Father's house this year. Uh, but if you did watch it, I'm gonna hold you accountable and make sure that you already made your hope list, all right? For everything that's hopeless, we've asked you to make a hope list and begin to pray over those things. And I've been praying over mine, I've been praying over some other people's, and man, I really do believe this is gonna be a year of breakthrough as we pray over some of those hopes. So make sure you check that out if you haven't already. Uh, today, we are gonna jump into a new series that will carry us for the remainder of January called Reset. And uh, last week I mentioned that there's a resource, it's popping up on your screen right now, that we're gonna be going through starting tomorrow for the next 20 days. It's a 20-day guide to uh, prayer and devotionals. And I think there's something so powerful when a church decides to do something all together at the same time, when we're praying the same thing and we're studying the same thing and we're doing devotionals about the same content. And so I really wanna invite you in on this journey. We're doing it in our groups. But even if you're not in a group, get that resource. The link is there on YouTube or you can catch it on the live stream or on our website on the resources page. But jump in with us. This is gonna be such a powerful time as we collectively seek Jesus together for these 20 days. Uh, but as we start out this series about this concept, concept of reset, I want to give you a definition at the beginning here. Uh, the word reset in the English, it means to set, to establish again, or to start over. To set, establish again, or to start over. Pretty simple definition, right? Um, if you're anything like me, when I see that word reset, one of the first things that comes to mind is technology. All of us have had to reset our technology before, right? Whether it's the, the computer screen or the telephone or the TV, we've all had that moment where it freezes and we yell and we try not to use profanity because we're Christians and we shake it until eventually at some point we go, the only hope is to reset the system. Unplug the machine, uh, hit the little power button and let the thing recycle and magically it starts to work again simply by resetting it. Uh, for me, I am a child of the 80s. And so when I think of the word reset, there's a specific kind of technology that comes to mind, and that is uh, this technology right here. Anybody know what these are? This is a, a quality gaming system, people. Uh, this is called Nintendo, all right, for those of you who are not around. And I got some great games here. I've got the original Mario Brothers. I got Donkey Kong. I got Metroid. Y'all don't know about Metroid. Come on. I got a Mike Tyson's punch out. I used to crush some MTP back in the day, baby, let's go. So I've got all of these original Nintendo games, but for those of you who, who know how Nintendo works, that was a system that needed to get reset quite a bit, didn't it? Like there was a moment when you were playing Nintendo and it was inevitable. You had finally made it past that level. You had gotten to that point in the game where you're like, I I've never been here before and here's a new boss to fight or something like that. And right as you're about to cross over that threshold, the game would freeze up on you, right? See those lines come across the screen, the light would start blinking on the Nintendo system and you're like, no! Because there was no like, there was no way of getting back to that point. It wasn't like you could type in a code or it saved in, these were the old school days back in the 80s. You know, we, our computers didn't work like that. And so for, you did everything you could to get the game to keep playing. You'd shake the system and you'd tap on the side and you'd pray in tongues. I mean, you'd do everything you possibly do to get the system to start working. But inevitably, what would happen is you'd have to reset it. But there was a very specific way you reset a Nintendo game, right? Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. At least those over 35 in the room know what I'm talking about. See, with a Nintendo game, you didn't just hit a button or unplug the system. You actually had to remove the cartridge from the gaming console 
and, and you had to do one of these numbers. Because see, see, like, little pieces of dust would get lodged up there in the computer board, and it would prevent the game from making progress. So with the gust of wind, you could dislodge some of that dust, and in one moment where you used to get stuck, you could begin to make progress. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm gonna spiritualize Nintendo on you today, okay? Leave it to me to spiritualize Donkey Kong. I believe that's what God wants to do in this series over the next couple of weeks. I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit that God wants to take us from spaces where we are getting stuck, pull us out of our environment for a moment so that he can blow off the dirt and blow off the dust and blow off all those things are, that are prohibiting progress so that in a moment you can go back to where you were at before, but you do not get stuck there any longer. You begin to move forward in the things of God. I believe that is what he's called us to in this season. And in this first message in the series, here's what I wanna to discuss today. As we talk about reset, I wanna talk about a word that is terrifying for many of us, a word that strikes fear in the heart of many people, especially this time of year. I wanna to talk to you about commitment. You feel that? You feel a fear as soon as I said that? Yeah. I wanna to talk to you about commitment. See, this, this word reset, if it means to set, to establish, to make permanent once again, then the word set by itself means to establish or to make permanent in the first place. So, so one could deduce that if we had truly established and made something permanent in the first place, we would not need to reset it. If we had truly committed in the first place, there would be no need for a reset. And, and as we get into 2021, my hope is that we don't have to do a reset series at the beginning of 2022 because we didn't establish and make some things permanent that we should have at the beginning of this year. I wanna make sure that we commit, we establish, we get some strong footing in the areas that God is calling us to this year so that we can truly make progress and not find ourselves in the back, back in the same situation a year from now. So, so we are going to talk about commitment and truly setting some things in place. And as we do that, I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. We're gonna look at a guy by the name of Elisha. And for those that might be new to the Bible or, or, or maybe you don't know who that, that, uh, that, that character is in scripture, let me give you a little bit of a backdrop so that we're all on the same page. Um, two chapters before in 1 Kings chapter 17, we are introduced to a guy named Elijah. And Elijah was a really bad to the bone Old Testament prophet. Like this guy was crazy. He saw some things that no other prophets had seen. The Bible records that he raised a child from the dead. Uh, there was a day he showed up at a widow's house and she had no food and he prayed over some vessels and she suddenly had oil and flour to spare and she just kept pouring and it kept coming out for like for a really long period of time. Uh, one day he's up on the top of Mount Carmel and he calls 450 prophets of Baal, the false god up there, and he says, we're gonna have a showdown. We'll see which god sends fire from heaven and burns up their sacrifice. And in one moment, he just said, God, send fire. <laughs> All of a sudden, fire from heaven shows up on the side of a mountain. You know, just your average Tuesday for a Christian, right? Like just normal stuff. Now, this, this dude was the real deal. But, but in 1 Kings chapter 19, God has called the prophet Elijah to uh, anoint and call his protege, the guy that's gonna carry his baton when he passes on, and he leads him to a guy by the name of Elisha, which is a little narcissistic, isn't it? Like, Elijah, I want you to go bring Elisha. Can we find someone with a slightly different name, you know? Hey guys, you have a new pastor. His name is Jim Little from this point forward, okay, yes. 
but I digress. Uh, so so uh, Elijah calls Elisha, and in 1 Kings chapter 19, we begin to see Elisha's response to this call to commit. Uh, verse 19 in chapter 19 says this. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, uh, plowing in a field. There were 12 team of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders, and then he walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, uh, ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen, and he slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. And then he went on with Elijah as his assistant. I wanna dive into that for the next couple of moments. And if you're taking notes, I wanna title this chat, Burn the Boats, Burn the Boats. Let me pray and we'll get into it. Jesus, thank you for your presence. Thank you for this opportunity to go to your word. And God, thank you for the call to commitment. You, you wouldn't call us unless you had something great. And so I pray over these next couple of moments as we begin to hear the call, that we would heed the call in 2021. As we step into this year, that we would establish some things that maybe we didn't establish last year so that we're not moved, we don't get stuck, and we can begin to make progress into the places that you're calling us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Uh, years ago, my wife and I uh, fell in love with the TV show known as American Ninja Warrior. Anybody ever watched that show before? We were absolutely obsessed with this show for a little bit of time. And I don't know if it's because I'm easily inspired or because I like a challenge, but for some reason when I watched that show, I remember even in the first episode thinking to myself, I could do that. I could do that. Like, I could swing from the bars and do the salmon ladder and I could go across the water there. Like, I could do that. I could be the American man who represents his people and makes it to the top of Mount Midoriyama. Like, I could do this. And for a short season, we got like lightweight serious about it, right? Like we started to look around our, uh, our city to find an American Ninja Warrior gym. And we actually found one for our kids. And so we signed them up for the American Ninja Warrior gym. And like we were getting really serious about it. But I noticed as I watched the show that the people who made it the furthest were always the rock climbers. They had their grip strength and they could handle their body weight well. And they seemed to go further than anybody else. So naturally I thought, well, if I'm gonna be an American Ninja Warrior, I gotta start getting on the rock climbing thing. So one day, we got the family together and we, uh, we headed out to this indoor rocknasium place where they've got all the different structures set up and you can climb around. And so we, we get the training, the guy shows us how to put on the, the diaper harness thing and how to uh, use the, uh, the, the little clips. And I, uh, clearly I haven't climbed in a long time because I don't know any of the terminology for this thing, but uh, you, know, you can rappel and all that stuff. So we're climbing and we're having a good time and my kids are shimmying up the side of these structures. I'm like, okay, we're doing okay. And then about halfway through the, the, the event, I look across the gym and I notice all the like, the real climbers are all hanging together in this one spot called the free climbing area. Now the free climbing area, unlike the rest of the structures where you're harnessed up and if you fall, there's a rope that's gonna catch you. These guys are crazy. They're climbing on the side of these structures with no harnesses, no ropes. If they fall, they fall. Now granted, there's you know, some, some foam padding below and so no one's gonna die. Maybe they get the wind knocked out of them or something like that. But ultimately, the reason this area of the gym exists is because these guys are training to do this in real life. They're training to shimmy up the side of some structure outside or some rock outside and if they let go, if they fall, at best, they're gonna get injured really badly. At worst, they're probably gonna lose their life. And I remember thinking as I saw the free climbing area, I'm like, 
This is where my American Ninja Warrior saga ends. I can no longer do this. I can't be that kind of a rock climber. But I was fascinated with this group of people that just, they climbed without ropes. And so I walked over and I was watching these guys for a little bit. And I remember turning to one of the guys and said, you guys are nuts. Like it's one thing to do this in here where you could fall on a, on a pad, but I mean like you guys are crazy to do this out in the wild out there in the, in the nature. Like how, what's the matter with you? And, and the guy said something to me and I will never forget it because it was so unintentionally inspired. He, he said, it's amazing how long you can hold on when you eliminate the option to let go. Whew, come on, that'll preach somebody. Wave a hanky in the middle of the rocknasium. It's amazing how long you can hold on when you eliminate every other option. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. True commitment requires abandoning all other options. True commitment, real commitment, legitimate commitment requires abandoning all other options. We live in a culture and in a world that is obsessed with options, don't we? There, there's, there's apps for you to figure out how many different kinds of food you're in the mood for. We, we got apps that you can date multiple people on. We want options for our food and options for the people we date and options for the schools we attend. You, you can even choose what kind of car picks you up and drives you to a different location through Uber. We like our options. But what many of us don't realize is that our obsession with options actually makes it impossible for us to truly commit. Contrary to popular belief, the only way you are fully committed is if you have eliminated every other option. You have not truly committed to a marriage until divorce is no longer an option, regardless of whether or not that person changes. You have not truly committed to a job unless your resume is not out there online for everybody else to see and try to poach you from your existing job. You have not truly committed to a relationship until you've deleted all your ex's phone numbers and your profile is no longer visible on Christian Mingle. You, you have not committed until you have eliminated every other option. Only after your options have been eliminated have you truly committed. And, and this is why I love this story of Elisha so much. This is why I love what we witness as, as we see him called by the prophet Elijah because Elisha here, he shows us what it truly looks like to abandon every other option. He shows us what it looks like to be fully, radically, intentionally committed. Come back to the story for just a moment. Elijah shows up and it says that he finds Elisha plowing with 12 teams, which is 24 oxen in a field. And Elisha does something rather weird, rather cryptic, typical of a prophet in those days. He comes by and he throws this cloak over the shoulders of Elisha and then he kind of shimmies off into the distance, into the sunset, like typical prophet behavior, you know? And now I was doing a little bit of research as I was studying for this sermon. And in doing the research, I discovered that Elijah's cloak would have been an animal skin with the fur still attached to it. 
And so in, in an effort to illustrate this so that we could all kind of understand a little bit better how this story is playing out, I found an animal skin with the fur still attached to it. So Eric, will you bring uh, the animal skin up to the stage with you real quick? Uh, just to be clear, um, Eric's my workout buddy. I'm not gonna give him COVID. He's not gonna give me COVID. We're around each other all the time, okay, for accountability. Also, I feel the need to offer this disclaimer. Um, I did not purchase this coat, so I am not a participant in the murdering of animals for their fur. Uh, this was, stop it. This was my Nana's coat. So she's the murderer, but she's with Jesus now. So you can't take it out on her. We did inherit this coat, um, but we didn't buy it. So, so please don't throw fake blood or judge me or any of those things because of this fur coat. Okay. I think I've covered all my bases. So here's how the story goes. Elisha is out in a field and he is plowing the field with his 12 teams of oxen. <laughs> Nailed it, just like that, perfect. And Elijah, seeing Elisha plowing the field, plow away, my friend, he comes over to Elisha and he just throws the coke over his shoulders and then he shimmies away. Now, this might seem really, really weird for us. This may not make any sense to our brain, like, okay, why would you just throw a cloak over somebody's shoulders? But Elisha would have been keenly aware of what was happening in this situation. In this moment, what Elisha would have realized is that this was an invitation. This was a call. This was a chance to leave the mundane, day-to-day, ox-smelling field and to step into something that God had for his future. He knew that this was an invitation. And when Elijah ran away, he had a decision to make. Am I going to stay in the field? Am I gonna continue doing what I was always doing or am I going to respond to this invitation? And we know that Elisha responded in faith because the Bible says that he immediately left his oxen there in the field and with haste, he ran towards Elijah. Thank you, yes, he ran towards Elijah. And in this moment, we can see in Elisha that he is responding to the call. Now, all of us have had this moment before. Maybe you've never had a moment where somebody threw an animal skin over your shoulders. But all of us have had a cloak-throwing moment where an invitation has been made. It started at salvation and it didn't stop there. It continues to come. The call continues to come week after week, month after month, year after year in this journey with God. There was a day where Jesus showed up and he saw your beat up, broken down life and you were far from him and he said, son, I love you so much that I'm gonna give my life for you and if you just believe that I died on a cross for your sins and I paid the price, you can come and be on this amazing journey with me. I'm gonna make you into something. I'm gonna make you do something great. You're gonna be a fisher of men and then you're gonna have a spot reserved for you in eternity with me. It was a call and you had a decision to make. Am I gonna continue to live my life apart from God or am I gonna walk with Jesus for the rest of my days? And many of you have made that decision. You answered the call of the cloak. But then it didn't stop there, did it? He continues to call you. He continues to say, come and follow me. There, there's a call to go deeper in the things of God. There's calls in and out of certain relationships that would either be a catalyst or be prohibitive for you. There's a call to risk everything and help build the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. You know, for Robin and I, we were called to know Jesus at a young age, and then years later, what did he do? He called us out of what we knew, out of our regular, out of our mundane, so that we could move to a city we'd never been to before, plant a church, because he said there's thousands of people in the Sunset District and beyond that do not know Jesus, and I wanna plant my kingdom right there in the middle of it, and I will do something great if you will heed the call. 
it was a call. It was a cloak-throwing moment that I had to respond to. And, and listen, if we hadn't responded to it, someone else would have. If we hadn't said yes, there'd be somebody else right here, right now, who's communicating to you because ultimately Jesus loves this city way too much to leave it unattended. He would have called someone else, but we responded to the call. But, but it's interesting, here's how the call comes. Uniquely, when Elijah shows up to Elisha and he throws the cloak over his shoulders and walks away, this is how it comes to us every single time. Jesus makes a call, but he's not gonna just sit around and wait while you vacillate and consider your options. He's not gonna just sit around and go, hey, um, you know, if you wanna be happy, you know, I understand. And no, he, he doesn't care about what you're gonna try to, what kind of options you're gonna try to consider. He's just gonna move on and continue to build his kingdom. The kingdom of God is advancing and you are either advancing with it or you are staying where you're at. You have to make a decision to truly follow. Thank you, you can take your seat. Give Eric a hand, everybody, come on. You look great in that fur kilt. Now, while that call comes consistently, I think we could all say that there have been seasons when we had not heeded that call. We could probably look at the evidence in the lives of other people and say there's so many people that never truly answer that call. And here's why. Again, if you're taking notes, write this down. Every call has a cost. Your yes has a cost, doesn't it? Every call has a cost. Uh, you, you may not weigh your wealth in oxen. Uh, yeah, how many oxen you got? Yeah, you're a wealthy dude. You probably don't weigh your wealth that way, but in these days, this was one of the ways you determined wealth. If someone had heck of oxen, then they had heck of money, which is a literal measurement term, heck of, heck of. This guy, Elisha, had 24, and that was a lot of oxen. By their standards, Elisha was a pretty wealthy guy. And so this call was gonna cost him something. This call was gonna cost him the safety and the security of his vocation, of his ox. Not only that, it was gonna cost him some relationships. The Bible says that he asks Elijah if he can go say goodbye to his parents. What Elisha understood is that there were some people that weren't gonna be able to make it on this journey with him. They didn't belong in his call, and so he had to say goodbye, kiss some folks goodbye, so that he could walk into the next season that God was calling him into. It cost him his job, it cost him his safety and security, it cost him some relationships. But listen, you are not exempt from cost. Just as it cost him, it's gonna cost every one of us when we say yes to the call. There is always a cost. If God is calling you into greater depths in his word this year, there's gonna be a cost. It's gonna cost you some sleep. You're gonna have to wake up a little bit earlier in the morning and you're gonna have to get into the word of God or you're gonna have to get off the couch and stop watching Netflix till midnight and eating chips on the couch and you're gonna have to go to bed at a decent hour so that you can wake up the next morning, you can seek God or you're gonna have to stay up a little bit later in the night and seek his word. There's gonna be a cost. If, if God is calling you to trust him with your resources, to be a tither and a giver this year, there's going to be, yes, a literal cost. It's gonna cost you something. Not only will it cost you something, but it will also cost you some discretionary items in your budget that maybe you're wasting money on right now because God would say, I'd have you get rid of those things so that you can live a lifestyle of generosity. That is not impor as important as you being a vessel of blessing to other people. It's gonna cost you. 
If maybe God's calling you to be a leader this year, to stop being someone who just receives everything but begins to give out from their life. And I've received so much and I'm, I'm a little bit further on down the road than some of these newer believers, so I'm gonna be a group leader. I'm gonna disciple some people. Hey, there's a cost to that. That may cost you some relationships. It may cost you some lifestyle decisions and some patterns because you wanna be able to look at somebody and say, follow me as I follow Christ and my life is above reproach. So yeah, there is a cost to leadership. Whether it's your time or your resources or your comfort, it may cost you something. It may cost you your happiness. Hey, newsflash, God does not care if you are happy on this earth. He is far less concerned with your happiness and your comfort than he is with your call and your obedience. It may cost you some things. But man, listen to me when I say this. As somebody who has counted the cost time and time again in my life, there is nothing greater than counting the cost and stepping into what God has for the call. I can speak on behalf of probably everybody who has made these decisions. There is nothing greater than living in the center of God's will and knowing that you are walking down the path that he has charted for you. I would give it up a thousand times over and over and over and over again. Every cost that we have seen up until this moment, if I could continue to see what God has done miraculously in this church over the last two years, with hundreds of people being saved and people being baptized and hundreds of thousands of dollars being given away to people who need it. Yeah, it was worth the cost. And I think if Elisha was alive today and he was on the planet and he was preaching from the stage, he would say the exact same thing. Because you know what Elisha got to see? He got to see a double portion of everything that Elijah saw. You thought Elijah's life was crazy. Look at what Elisha got to see. A double anointing, a double portion. Why? Because he was willing to take the cost for the call. He was willing to say yes. Your yes always has a cost, but it's worth it. And it's necessary if we are truly going to commit to what God has for us. Now, as we conclude, and I'll invite the band so that we can, we can end here in just a moment, I wanna look at one other aspect of this story. Because Elisha, he, he doesn't just count the cost for the call, but he begins to take it even a step further. In keeping with our thesis, here's what Elisha understands. True commitment requires the abandoning of every other option. For Elisha, after Elijah comes and throws the cloak over his shoulders, we see what this abandonment of options look like, looks like. He says in verse 21 of chapter 19, Elisha returned to his oxen and he slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Okay, this is, this is a radical move. This is crazy. This doesn't make any sense. In an effort to eliminate all of his options to make sure he never goes back, Elisha takes the yoke, the plow, he breaks it all up, builds a fire, and then he literally barbecues his future. He barbecues his job and his livelihood so that everybody else in the town can eat. And then he goes off and he follows Elijah. This is nuts. This, this would be the equivalent of you selling all your stocks, cashing out your 401k, eliminating your savings, giving everything away to everybody else, getting rid of your house, getting rid of all your possessions, saying, all right, God, now I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do this. Wait, what? That seems crazy. But what might seem crazy to us 
was necessary for Elisha because Elisha understood the only way I'm gonna make it where God's calling me is if I eliminate the option to come back, go back to where I came from. He eliminated every option to return. Some of you might be familiar with this story, but uh, the story goes that in the year 1519, uh, the conquistador, the uh, Spaniard, Hernando Cortez, uh, wanted to head out to the Yucatan Peninsula and take the treasure from the Aztecs that for 600 years had been guarded and nobody had been able to break through their, their fortified, uh, fortified walls in their city. And so Cortez grabs 600 soldiers, he grabs 11 ships and he heads out to the Yucatan Peninsula. When they arrive, they disembark the vessels and they make their way onto shore and he begins to tell them what they're going to do and a couple of the soldiers get a little bit squirrely and they try to retreat back to the, the boats. Their thought was, okay, well, if we defect to Cuba, we'll be safe there and we can just take the boats and head over to Cuba and we'll leave the rest of the soldiers here on the shore. But Hernando Cortez, he gets word of this and to avoid the coup, he looks at some of his other soldiers and says, hey, I want you to go into the harbor and I want you to burn all of the boats. Wait, what? I want you to burn all the boats. So they head out and they, they burn all of the ships that they've made their way over to the Yucatan on. When one of his soldiers looked at him, he said, sir, how are we going to get back to where we came from? Hernando said this, and it's become a famous line. He said, if we're going back, we're going back in their boats. He made a commitment to not return, a commitment to eliminate every other option. Apparently, as a result of that commitment, for the first time in 600 years, an army took over the Aztecs and they finally got the treasure when nobody else could. Why? Because they eliminated all their options. Something happens when you eliminate the option to go back. There's a steadfastness. There's a true commitment that will carry you regardless of what's happening around you. Now, in my younger days, as a preacher, maybe as a youth pastor, this would be the time in the sermon where I have the band begin to build and I'd start preaching like a Pentecostal. I'd sweat a little bit and my face would get red and I'd say things like, come on, you know that there are some boats in your life that are holding you back from everything that God's had for you and you better identify those boats. I'm just kidding, I never preached like that, but I would yell and I would scream and I would try to get you to identify those things that you keep going back to that are keeping you from moving forward but I'm older and I'm mature now, so I'm not gonna do that. Instead, I wanna ask you to do something that Elijah asked Elisha to do. After Elijah throws the coke on, a cloak on Elisha's shoulders, here's what he says, 1 Kings 19, verse 20. He says, think about what I have done. Consider what's just taken place. There's a call, there's a commitment I'm asking you to make, but don't make this lightly. Think about this. Consider the cost. Jesus talks about it in the book of Luke. No one goes to war without considering whether or not they got the right number of soldiers. No one builds a great structure without realizing whether or not they have the right materials. No, take the call seriously. Consider the cost. I wanna ask you to consider what are those boats that you need to burn? What are the costs you need to be willing to embrace, to step into what God has for you this year. Do not make a decision haphazardly, but once you've identified those things, if you're ready to truly commit, and I don't need to tell you what it is, the Holy Spirit is faithful. 
I don't need to give you 40 different examples right now. You know, as I'm saying this in your heart, what God is asking of you. It's a cloak throwing moment. And I'm asking you to determine, am I gonna stay where I'm at plowing my field this year, just hitting repeat on the last year, the last decade of my life, or am I gonna heed the call, count the cost, and follow Jesus into the greatest year of my life? The option is yours, the decision is yours, but I believe with every ounce of my being that God is calling some people today. So, so let me pray over you as we conclude, and I pray that you make the right decision this round. Jesus, I, I hear the call. We hear the call today. Thank you that you don't leave us in the field to go about our mundane lives and do what we've always done, but for every person, there is unique, a specific call. Maybe that is the call to go deeper in, this, in the word this year. Maybe that is the call to leadership. Lord, personalize it right now for every single person listening. And I ask as that call comes, Lord, that we would be the kind of people that are willing to burn the plows, to barbecue the oxen, to get rid of all the options to return and that we would move into all that you have for us this year. God, show us, reveal to us right now what that is. We just declare you have our yes, you have our yes. And as I'm praying this today, there's probably some folks that would say, I, I, I saw what you did up there with Eric with the, the first call of the coat around his shoulders. And there's that moment where Jesus says, come and follow me. I've never made that decision. Or maybe I did years ago and I've been at a distance. And I know that before I walk into some great thing that he has for me, I, I need to walk into relationship with him today. I, I wanna pray with you before we conclude. If you are listening, you're watching, and you would say, Tim, I'm far from God, and I just need to heed that call to follow him today. I wanna pray a simple prayer, and you can just follow along with me wherever you're at. But just pray this in your heart. Jesus, today, I choose to follow you. Thank you for the invitation. I heed it, I say yes. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died for my sins on a cross, and that you've made a way for me to live life with you in eternity. Today, I choose to follow you, and to walk in your ways from this day forward. I wanna be your disciple. And I wanna say yes at every juncture. Will you ask me to take that next step? I wanna obey your word, live in your ways from this day forward until I see you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, can we just thank God for every person praying that prayer today? Listen, if you just prayed that, your very next step the next cloak that is being thrown over your shoulders is baptism. I know Jazzy got a little passionate about it here earlier, but I'm gonna get passionate about it again. It, it's mind boggling to me that so many people, they stay in their old life because they're unwilling to get water baptized. The Bible says in Romans chapter six that literally there's a passing away of the old version of you and a new creation that comes up out of those waters as you're water baptized. You wanna get out of that field, you wanna walk into the call of God, baptism is your next step. It is how you set the old things where they belong and you walk into the new that God has for you. So if you've not yet been water baptized, please take that next step. You can sign up as she told you on the app or on the website. But additionally, uh, we were really passionate around here about helping you take your next steps. We've got something called First 40, which is a 40 day journey where we teach you 
how to read the Bible and how to pray and about water baptism and about community, all the stuff that will get your foundation built strong in this journey. And we want, to be, we want you to be a part of that. Um, if you are watching on the live stream, there's a button popping up right now and it says, raise my hand. Click that button so that you can take that next step. Give us your information. We will follow up with you this week and we'll get you connected to one of our first 40 groups. Uh, groups. If you're watching later, you're on YouTube uh, and you don't have that little button, very easy, text TFHSF to 97,000. Same thing, you'll get a connect card right there. But really, we just wanna help you get started strong on this journey. So please take advantage of that. Don't make the biggest decision of your life without having some people walk along with you. We really want to walk with you. Uh, for the rest of you guys, we love you so much. And uh, we are counting down the weeks until we get to see you again. Until then, have an amazing Sunday and we will see you soon. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.